All right, well, good morning, everybody. Happy Resurrection Day, and what a great day it is. Without this day, we'd have no hope. This was the day that just sealed the deal, and God gave His life for us on the cross, and, and the tomb is empty, and I've been there, it's empty, and thank God for that, because that's the promise that the Father accepted the sacrifice. So we're going to be looking at that day, that first day, if you turn to John chapter 20, we'll get started. We're going to be looking at that day, but we're going to take a different twist today. I've entitled the message, Why Jesus? So we'll start in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, it says, verse 1, Now the first day of the week was Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved. That's John. If you notice, John's super humble. He always mentions himself as the one who Jesus loved because he's humble, right? He doesn't get his name out there. And, and so uh, he and uh, the one whom Jesus loves, he said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter. Isn't that humble of John? He made sure that you knew that he outran Peter, though Peter started out first. And so he outran Peter. He came to the tomb first, and stooping down, he looked in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went in the tomb. I like that because John got there first, but Peter crosses the finish line. John didn't go into the tomb because then you would be considered unclean and you couldn't worship. And so uh, he, John comes to the tomb and Peter just goes inside. And they see the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief being around his head, not, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the, first, then the other disciple that came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they do not, did not know the Scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting on the head and the other at the feet where the body was of Jesus where it had been lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they've laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and she said, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We praise you, Lord God, for this day. Without this day, we'd have no hope. And you completed the task that you set out to do. 
And because of it, we're experiencing the fruit of that and the glory of just being born again and having salvation, eternity with you forever. So we give you praise and glory and ask that you would just speak to us today to encourage us, to fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit, to be a witness for your glory to everyone out in the community, Lord God. As we get into these final days, Lord, we want to be about the Father's business and to finish and to finish well. So bless this time. Bless the hearing of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys are all familiar with this. I mean, it's not like if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've at least heard this once a year, maybe more if somebody was teaching the Gospels. Um, great story, but it's true. That's the good news. I've been to that tomb. That tomb is empty. It's a glorious thing. I like it here that uh, the women come there. It's, the, it's, it's Mary Magdalene that comes to the tomb, finds the stone rolled away, runs to the guys, tells them. Peter and John run. John gets there first, but Peter comes across the finish line first and goes in the tomb. But there's something there that so many times people miss. As they looked and they saw the linen clothes, they saw the linen clothes laying there where they had laid them in that tomb. But there was also the, the handkerchief, the, 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 the napkin that was wrapped around his head was not laying with the linen, but it was folded nicely and set off to the side. And when you read that, you, you don't grab onto what's really going on there. But here's what's really going on there. In those days, when you ate food, you didn't have napkins. You used bread, a lesser bread, to wipe it. Everybody dipped into the same sauces. They wiped their hands off with bread. They threw it down. That was the crumbs that the dogs ate by the table. But in royalty, a king, a king actually had napkins. And the king would use a napkin. And here's the thing that's so awesome about what we see here is that for a king in those days, if he gets up from the table and he's not coming back, he just throws his napkin down and he takes off. But if he gets up and he folds his napkin nicely and sets it by his plate, he walks off and that means the king is coming back. Jesus rose from the dead. And so I entitled this message, Why Jesus? We know this story. But maybe you're here today and you're, you're, not, you're not saved. You don't know Jesus. You know of Jesus. You've got head knowledge, but head knowledge doesn't save you. You've got to believe with your heart. It's not enough to know who he is and understand who he is and even have a few verses under your belt. Do you believe in your heart? Do you trust him? Is he your Lord and Savior? Why Jesus? To the unbeliever, they ask, well, why? Why should I choose Jesus? Why should I trust Jesus? Why should I believe in him? Why should I do his will? And then to the believer, many times we ask why. Why are you doing this, Jesus? Why, why should I serve you? Why should I obey? Why should I do your will if it's all about saved by faith and not by works? Why? And hopefully we'll answer those questions today as we look at a few things. But I want you to know that Jesus is the final sacrifice once and for all. Do you know that? John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. There was only one who could take away the sins of the world. So if you're here today and you're saying, Why should I choose Jesus? It's because He's the only one that could take away your sins. He created all things. He died for you and He provided a way. He's got a gift for you. He wants you to take that today and live forever. Why Jesus? Why Jesus? Because He's the one that needs to be worshipped. No one else has ever done for us what He did no one will ever love you like Jesus. His love, we can't even describe, we can't even imagine, we can't even fathom how deep His love is. You know, on the Day of Atonement, the children of Israel, when they're in the wilderness, 
The Day of Atonement was a great day where there was a sacrifice that was produced for the whole nation. And you had some two, three million people wandering around in the desert and they would gather around the tabernacle on the Day of Atonement and they would wait with anticipation. And as the high priest would go in and do the priestly duties, if everything went right and God accepted the, the sacrifice for the nation, then the high priest would come out and stand before the people. He'd raise his hands and he'd say, Forgiven! And two to three million Jews would just scream their heads off because God accepted. Let, let's try, I know we don't have two, three million here, but let's try it and see how well you guys do. Forgiven! The tomb is empty. You know, here's the neat thing about that, too, is what we see all through the Old Testament is a progression of the sacrifices. Do you guys know the oldest book in the Bible is what? Job. Job. So Job was back in the time where they were offering sacrifices for everyone in your family. And we saw that in Genesis. If you had five in your family, you had to sacrifice five offerings to the Lord. That was for the covering of the sin. It didn't take away the sin. The Old Testament believers died in faith, waiting for the Messiah who would complete the work on the cross. And they were staying in Abraham's bosom and then later would be taken to be before the Father when the cross was finished. And so in Genesis, you had to have a sacrifice for each person in your household. But then you get to Exodus, and we saw with the Passover, we saw with that there was one sacrifice for the whole family, or for as many were in your house. And then when you get to Leviticus, the Day of Atonement, you see one sacrifice for a whole nation. What makes it great about Jesus Christ was He's the final sacrifice once and for all. He didn't just die for an individual. He didn't just die for a family. He didn't just die for a nation. Jesus Christ died for the world. You see the progression there? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But you've got to respond to his, his gifting that He wants you to have. And his love won't save you. You've got to respond with your heart and choose Jesus. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't buy your way to heaven. You have to trust. Put your trust in Jesus and you'll live forever. We're all going to live forever. We're all eternal beings. But there's only two places you're going to go. And you say, well, that's narrow. And I, yeah, that's the way it is. That's how it is. And it's, you shouldn't be surprised there's only one way to heaven. You should be surprised that there is a way. That Jesus made a way. So you're either going to live forever in heaven or you can be separated from the true and living God in torment for all eternity. God did not create hell for you. He created that for Satan and the fallen angels. God does not send you to hell. You send yourself because your pride says, I don't need Jesus. I'm going to do it my way. Well, your way is leading to the highway of hell. Torment for all eternity. Because of your pride, you are not willing to take a gift that Jesus has paid a price for you. He loves you. He's bought you with a price. Take the gift and live forever. And so I want to look at a few things today because you might be here today and say, why Jesus? And so I, I, when I think about that, I think about why Jesus. I think about the Old Testament. I think about the New Testament when uh, Jesus claims that He's the I Am. In, in Exodus 3.13, Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, Well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
See, a lot of people don't, don't get it, you know. A lot of people just go, oh, the Pharisees just didn't like him. They just hated Jesus. He was more popular than them. And, and you know, they wanted him dead. And Jesus said to them, to the Pharisees, he says, for what good work do you want to stone me for? <laughs> for which one of the, the miracles that, that I did do you want to stone me for? What good work did you want to stone me for? And you've got to understand, they didn't want to stone him for good works. They were, they were okay with the good works. It was the fact that he called himself the I Am. The great Almighty, God Himself. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. The Alpha, the Omega. He claimed to be God. When he said I Am, they got upset because he was claiming to be God. And so if we look at the, in John's Gospel, we see the seven I Am's there. And we see in John 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He's the bread of life. Eat from it. Live forever. Grab onto that manna. You remember in the wilderness, the, uh, the Lord brought manna daily, heavenly bread, down to the people so they could eat. And he said, and don't take more than you need for today, because tomorrow I'll bring new bread. And the ones that got greedy and they stocked up and got more than they needed, the next day that, that bread bred worms and stank. So what was he teaching them right up front? You need your daily bread. See, just coming on Sunday or just coming on Easter or just coming on Christmas, that doesn't take care of it because come Monday, you stink. Tuesday, you're breeding worms. And by Wednesday, you stank. Why? Because you're not in your daily bread. Jesus is the daily bread. He feeds our souls. John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He's the light of the world. He came into a dark world, born in a manger, laid in a feeding trough. He came in at night. He came into the darkness of men's heart to bring forth light. He is the light of the world. And then he turned to us before he ascended. He said, then you will be the light of the world. You are a reflection of Jesus. And in John 10, verse 7, he said, I am the door. I am the door. He, he, he's, he's the only door. He, and you know, people say, well, you, got, you Christians, you're narrow-minded. Yes, we are. There's only one way. There's only one door. And that door is narrow. But it leads to eternal life. The way to destruction is wide, and many take it. There is only one who died for our sins. There is only one who died on the cross. There is only one that rose from the dead. There's only one that paid for our sins. And because he paid for our sins, he's the only one that could raise us from the dead. Amen? John 10, 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. What's that mean? It means that Jesus cares for you. He takes care of you. He's with us. He protects us. He's, he's the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five. 25, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. No one else can say that. There is no one else can say that. He is the only one that rose from the dead never to die again. He was the only one that paid the price. You can't say that about anybody else. There are all those religions that are out there. Remember, Christianity is not religion. It's relationship. Everything else is religion because it's trying to earn its way to heaven. They can't do it. And out of all the leaders of all those religions, they all died and stayed in the grave. Only Jesus rose from the dead. Only Jesus has an empty tomb. He's the way and the truth and the life. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. It's narrow. It's one way. And before you get all twisted because God, there's only one way, I want choices. Yeah, well, you know what? If I had a cure for cancer and I said there was only one vaccination, you wouldn't hesitate, would you? 
Well, you know, I want to choose wheatgrass and spirulina and, you know, I want choices. No, you don't. You just want the vaccine. Right? Jesus is the vaccine. Jesus is the antidote to sin. Jesus only. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by Him. In John 15, He said, I am the true vine. You know what that means? He's the source. He's the source. (laughs) What are you drawing off of today? I'm drawing off Jesus. You know why? Because left to myself, I mess everything up. In me is no good thing apart from Jesus. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? He's the source. I'm going to draw from the source. I learned a long time ago to stop trying to do things in my own strength. How many times have you done stuff in your own strength and then all of a sudden you're just like, you're just like blown. You're just like, this isn't working. What's going on? And then all of a sudden you go, oh, I forgot to pray. And then you pray and all of a sudden it all works out. Oh my gosh, how many times we've done that here at the church? Everything's going haywire. The sound system's blown. The video's not working. And, and all of a sudden, someone goes, did we pray? And then it all starts working. See, Jesus is the source. He's the one that, that brings forth the fruit in our lives. He's the one that brings the gift and the strength that you and me need to live for Him and to finish and to finish well. But you've got to know Him to tap into that source. If you're here today and you don't know Him, I do not want you to leave today without knowing Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. And the tomb is empty. And He's the proof that He is the only one who can raise you from the dead and give you eternal life. So why Jesus? You might be asking. Friday night, we looked at the seven statements that were said by the cross. Why Jesus? Because He's our intercessor. The first thing he said on the cross was, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Jesus is praying for us. He's our intercessor. He's praying for us when we don't even realize how ignorant we are. When when we don't even realize that the things we're doing are even sin. He's praying for us. He's interceding for you. He loves you. You're his child. Thank God we have him interceding for us before the Father. Because, listen, the devil wants to tear you down. The devil wants to condemn you. Anybody here feel beaten up this week? That was the devil trying to beat you up, put you under condemnation. But God doesn't condemn you. The Holy Spirit convicts you. Conviction, condemnation, they both feel lousy, but one draws you close to God, the other draws you away. So when it's condemnation and the devil's beating you up, what he's doing is he's going before the the Father in heaven and he's complaining about you and it's all true. (laughs) You're just thinking, I'm shot. The jury... They're they're just going, oh my, Steve did that. Steve's thinking this. Steve, oh, oh, oh. And I'm just going, oh my gosh, I'm guilty. I'm a goner. And then Jesus walks in, my lawyer. And he says, judge, can I approach the bench? And the judge says, come forward. And he comes up to the bench and he leans over to the judge and he says, father, he's one of mine. And the father goes, case dismissed. That's where you stand with Jesus. Thank God for that, right? He gives you the power to live for Him. He gives you the ability to serve Him. He provides the gift for you to bless others. And then He rewards you for what He did. There's nothing better than that. He's our great intercessor. You know, not only that, He's our defense. Right? What did He say to the thief of the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. Today. That's awesome. Today you will be with me in paradise. Do you think that He's hanging on the cross? Dying? He's more concerned with others than himself. Wow. Now, for all of those who 
might be watching it or listening to this right now and you think that works is part of it, you're wrong. You don't, you're not saved by works. Because how do I know? Whenever I get somebody that goes on a works trip, I just take them to the cross. I take them to the thief. What did Jesus say to the thief? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Whoa, 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 wait, stop right there. That thief didn't have good works. He didn't tithe. When did he tithe? He, he, he didn't work in children's ministry. Was he baptized? No. What does that mean? You're saved by faith and faith alone. Jesus is our defense. Jesus is also our covering. He said to Mary when he was hanging on the cross, woman, behold your son. He looked at the disciple John. He said to John, behold your mother. Only Jesus puts you into a holy family. And don't you feel closer to people in church than some of your own family members? You know why? They say blood is thicker than water, but I'll tell you what, spirit's thicker than blood. And the Holy Spirit, that bond you can have with new believers when they're visiting, and you're just like, wow, you know, we just, you just feel so connected. That's the Holy Spirit. We have the same God living inside of us. And then there was this statement at the cross where he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Heavy statement. Jesus had never felt separation from the Father in all, throughout all eternity. He's never felt it. He never experienced it. But the thing was, from the hour of 12 noon till 3 o'clock, darkness fell on the whole world while he was crucified. And it was during that time that the sin of the world was poured out onto Jesus. All the sin from the past, present, and the future. All the sins you did, all the sins you're going to do from all mankind, from the beginning of man, all the way to the end when we're in heaven. All the sins from past, present, and future was dumped on him, and the Father had to turn his back on sin, and Jesus felt the separation from the Father for the very first time, and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For you. For you. When you were dead in your trespasses and sin and you didn't care about him, you may have even mocked him and spit on him like others. He did that for you. He was our sacrifice. And then he said on the cross, the fifth thing, I thirst. He was the suffering save, Savior for us. When you're crucified, you get very dehydrated. Psalm 22 tells us that his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth. And he thirsted. And they, they filled a sponge with vinegar to put up to his mouth so he could loosen his tongue and say what he had to say because the next thing he had to say was so important. And that next thing was, it's finished. Praise the Lord, it's finished. Amen? Only he could do that. It's finished. I love that. He is our provider. He paid the price for us. He paid a debt he didn't owe, a debt that I owed that I couldn't pay. And then the final thing that he said was, Father, into your hands I commend myself. He finishes what he starts. He finishes what he starts. You know why that's good news? You don't really look at me like you think that's good news. That's good news. Why? Because Philippians 1.6 says, Be confident of this very thing that he that begun the good work in you will complete it. What's that mean? He's going to get you across the finish line. Stop doubting. Stop pouting. Stop walking around doom and gloom and start being soon and zoom. Start, man, he's coming. He's coming soon. Hello, do you believe he's coming soon? Say amen. Yeah, okay, so let's kick it into gear and get busy for Jesus because he's coming soon. And there's people out there that don't know him and they need you to go out there and share the love of God with them. 
He finishes what he starts. Now, I want to I want to look at something really quickly um, for the believer. If you turn to Revelation chapter two, we looked at the seven I am's. We looked at the seven statements from the cross. But I also want to look at the seven titles that Jesus presents himself as in the seven letters to the seven churches. Revelation chapter two. Very important passage because these letters are to the church today. You're here today and you're born again. You're saved. But these letters are sort of an encouragement to us because why? Because we can get cold in our walk. We can trip up. We can backslide. Anybody ever backslide? Don't raise your hand. But we can backslide. We can mess up. But he's faithful. He's going to see us through. He's going to finish it. But you need to yield yourself to him. And so these seven letters are to seven real churches at that time, but they also map out church history leading right up to the Laodicea area that we are in right now in church history. They were also letters that were to be circulated amongst the church because he wanted all the churches to hear what he was saying to every single church, and these letters are to you and me. How do I know? Because the Spirit says, he that has an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. He that has an ear, let him hear. Now I'm looking out and I'm seeing a lot of ears. So these letters are to us. So they're report cards. It's good stuff. It's bad stuff. He's saying to you today, hey, you got some good stuff. I'm really stoked with what you're doing. Uh, There's something I'm not too happy with. Can we work on this? And he gives us these encouragements. Now there's two letters there's nothing bad said about. Smyrna and Philadelphia. And then there's some letters that are just like there's really nothing good. But within it, there's hope. Within it, for the heart that turns back to him, for the the heart that stops living in the world, there's hope in Jesus Christ. Why Jesus? Because he made a way. Why Jesus? Because he's the only one that can forgive you and set you back on your feet. Has your walk grown cold with Jesus? Jesus is the answer. Go to him. You have not because you ask not. If you ask him for forgiveness and say, Lord, set me on my feet again, guess what? He'll restore you. That's the good news for the believer. You know, you got friends, you got family that may never forgive you, but Jesus will. You have Christians that might not forgive you. Well, they're not acting like Christians because Jesus said we're supposed to forgive, that if we don't forgive, neither will the Father in heaven forgive us. Wow, that's a heavy statement. And so as we look at the first church, Ephesus, this was the foundational church. This was the church that started at Pentecost. This Ephesus era lasted for about 100 years, from the day the church started to 100 A.D. It it says this, the angel of the church of Ephesus writes these things. Here's Jesus giving himself a title for the church of Ephesus. He says, these things saith he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstand. Listen, Jesus holds you in his hands and he's walking in the midst of the church. He says to this church, I know your works, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear those things that are evil, those who are evil. You have tested those who say they're apostles and are not. You have found them liars. You have preserved and have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesakes and have have not become weary. He says, man, you guys are rocking in this church. But nevertheless, I have something against you. Because you left your first love. And he says to them, repent and return to your first love. What does that mean? We can get so busy serving Jesus. We can get so busy doing ministry. The church is pumping. The ministries are flowing. Everything's just going off. But uh, we forgot to spend time with the king. 
We can get so busy serving the king, doing godly stuff that we forget to spend time with the king. Don't forget, he wants to spend time with you. He wants to spend time with you more than anything. And if you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all those things, those will be added unto you. But we go after the things and we just compromise our relationship with Jesus. And he said to the church of Ephesus, repent and return to your first love. He said to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Woo! I'm looking forward to eating from that tree of life. Sounds good to me. I'm, I'm looking forward to some clean water flowing out of that new Jerusalem and some fresh air. I can't wait. And then we come to the church of Smyrna. Now, church of Smyrna was a persecuted church. It was a time frame from 100 A.D. to 313 A.D. where the church was suffering massive persecution and being put to death for their faith. And there's nothing bad said about Smyrna. He says, the angel of the church of Smyrna writes these things, saith the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Jesus is the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Now, this is really interesting because for my Jehovah, my dear Jehovah Witness friends, you need to take notice of this verse. Because when you talk to the Jehovah Witness, when you share the first and the last, they say, well, that's Jehovah God. That's the Father. And when you show them the first and the last in the book of Isaiah, they say, that's Jehovah, the Father. That's not Jesus. And then when you show them chapter 1, when it says, I am the first and the last, I say, well, who's that? They'll say, that's Jehovah, that's the Father. And then I take them to chapter 2, verse 8, and I say, these things write the first and the last. I go, who's that? They say, that's Jehovah, the Father. These things write, he who was the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Who's that? They go, oh, that's Jehovah. I go, oh, no, 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 no. The Father never died. It's Jesus Christ who died and came to life. This was a church that was suffering. They were doing great things. God applauded them. He said, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Do you want a crown of life today? You know, we were talking on Friday. I want, I want a whole bunch of crowns. There's a bunch of crowns. I want to get them all. I do not want you showing up in heaven with a copter beanie. I don't want you getting up there going, dude, what's going on up here? Don't say you're from Calvary Chapel, North Shore. <laughs> right? We want to know the scriptures. We don't want to know. We want to have crowns. Why? So we can throw them at his feet and say, look what you did through me in your power and you blessed me with these. It's all for you. All glory to you. Amen. Amen. Be faithful to death and he will give you a crown of life. And then we come to Pergamos. Pergamos was a time frame from 313 A.D. to 590 A.D. This was a church, Pergamos, which means mixed marriage. This was a church that allowed the world to come into the church. Boy, can we see that today. He said, to these things I write to, to those in Pergamos, I write these things, saith he who has a sharp two-edged sword, I know your works, and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. That's not encouraging. This is a church that was held up in an area which was called Satan's throne, and they were allowing the world to creep in. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. In Pergamum, there was a temple in Pergamum that was a temple which was actually worshipped as the seat of Satan. Satan had his headquarters there. Jesus says, I know where Satan's throne is. In Pergamos. That's crazy. You know, in Germany today, there's the Museum of Pergamum. You can go there and you can see a replication of the temple in Pergamum, which is this Satan's throne, his seat. You want to know something else? Fun fact. Hitler, during his realm, 
he had the, the seat here, Satan's throne, the temple of Pergam, he had it recreated in the arena where he met with his soldiers to pump them up before the battle. You want to hear something else crazy? When Barack Obama became president for the first time and has his acceptance speech in that giant stadium, the stadium down below was a recreation of the temple of Pergam. I'll probably get cut off YouTube for that. Isn't that crazy? This was a church that was mixing the world in. They had, they had gone away from the Lord, and the Lord says to them, to him who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone and a stone with a new name written on it that no one will know except him who receives it. God, through all of these letters, is giving people an opportunity to turn back, turn back, turn back. Or he's saying, you're doing so good, just hang on, hang on, hang on. And maybe you're here today and you feel like you're just hanging on. He said to the church of Thyatira, this was a church that allowed idol worship and so much sexual immorality into the church. It was a church from 590 A.D. to about 1617 A.D. It was a strong uh, church. It was many believe that Thyatira represents the Catholic church. If that's the case, then Sardis would represent the Protestant church. He says, these things I write unto the church of Thyatira, these things say the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. God's eyes are like a flame of fire. They can look right through to your soul. They can look right into the depths of your heart. His eyes, he knows everything about you. You're not getting away with anything. And he says to the church of Thyatira, they, they, they listen to this woman, Jezebel, who called herself a prophetess, and, and she, she seduced them, taught them sexual immorality and to sacrifice to idols. You know, when you look, and I'm not trying to be mean, but I've got to bring truth out. If this does represent the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church has been guilty of making statues for people to worship, which is forbidden. They worship Mary, they worship Peter, they kiss his feet, they call the Pope the Holy Father. No man's to be called the Holy Father except the Father in heaven. And I got to point that out to anybody that might be Catholic. I grew up Catholic, trust me, I know. I never knew what it meant to be born again. You had to rely on the Catholic Church. But before you're too hard on the Catholic Church, Sardis would mean that it's the Protestant Church and God's got nothing good to say about us. Crazy. He says, you have a name that lives, but you're dead. You got Jesus Christ out on, that, out on the, the marquee, but you're dead. There's no life in you. You're, you're living in your own power and your own flesh, and you're not, you're not living for me. He says, the angel of the, here, and to the angel of the church of Sardis write these things, these things saith he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says, I know your works, and you have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. He says, to he that overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of the life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. That's an important phrase right there. He says, if you're truly his, he will confess your name before the father and before angels. You know why that's important? Because if you're here today and you're not saved, or you're here today and you say you're saved, but you won't confess Jesus before man, he says, if you're not going to stand up for me, I'm not going to stand up for you. See, because a true, transformed life does not only say I'm born again, but shares the love of God. That's how you know that you know. 
That's how you know that God's working on you. And it may be the scariest thing for you to do, but here's the funny thing. When you just step into that room, when you step out of the boat to walk on water and share the love of God, watch the Holy Spirit take over, and then you just step back and you go, man, that was good. That's because it was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't you. And then he writes to the church of Philadelphia, which was a time frame around 1730 to uh, 1900. And many like to drag it all the way out for the true believer to the time of the rapture. But we see this great awakening period from the 1700s to the 1900s, even in our own country, where God opened doors and the gospel went out and we were a godly country. We were a country founded on Jesus Christ. We were, we were a country that lived for Jesus Christ. We had great awakenings and great revivals taking place during that time. And he says, the angel to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write these things. Says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens that no one shuts, and he shuts that no one can open. He says, I know your works. You guys are awesome. You're off the hook. You guys are doing great things. He's got nothing negative to say about these guys. He says this. He goes, because they are truly transformed, trusted in Jesus. He says, you're not going through the tribulation. The promise of the rapture. He says, I'm going to come for you. I'm going to take you out of this place. What an encouragement. He says, Hold fast to what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him a name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Praise the Lord. And then we come to the last church, the church of Laodicea which began around 1900 and will go on till the tribulation. These things says him, the, says the amen and the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says to these guys, I know your works. And it's scary what he says to them because, listen, this was a church that was rocking financially in appearance to the world they had the big building they had all the radio stations they had the tv stations they had all the funding they had huge crowds everybody was coming they had the giant parking lot they had it all going on they thought they had it all going on they're like man we're rich we're going off we're in need of nothing and jesus says you're poor miserable naked and blind He also says to them, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. What's he doing there? He's knocking. Jesus, why are you knocking? I want to go in. What do you want to go into? I'm trying to get into my church. Do you know how many churches in the world that Jesus is standing outside knocking? Saying, hey, guys, I... I I noticed my name out there, but can I come in? Strong warning to this church of Laodicea, which he called lukewarm. He understands hot. He understands cold. He doesn't understand lukewarm. Lukewarm. Ugh. I like hot coffee. I like cold coffee. I don't like lukewarm coffee. I want to vomit it out. And Jesus says, listen, you're so lukewarm. I just want to vomit you out. 
To him that whoever comes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Oh, how precious that is for God to say that to a lukewarm church. Listen, guys, we're in the era of Laodicea, but we don't have to be Laodicea. We can be on fire for Jesus. But you've got to submit yourself to Jesus and allow him to work in you and work through you. You've got to stop thinking about yourself and think about others. You've got to stop thinking about, well, what about my needs? And just let God work in you and let him add all the things that you need because you sought him first. I want to close with this. I want to look at um, Luke 24, and we'll close with this. It's a familiar passage. It's, it's the passage where the two men are walking on the road to Emmaus. And they're, they're on the road to Emmaus. And it's, it's after the resurrection. They got the news. They, they lost their hope, though. They're, they're going the opposite direction. And they're mumble, mumbling and kind of complaining. And so look at verse uh, Luke 24, verse 13. It says, Now behold, two men of them were traveling the same day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. He said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you're having with one another as you talk and are sad? Then they, the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said unto him the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was the prophet, mighty indeed in word, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him for to be condemned to death. They crucified him. But we were hoping that he was who he was going to, he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And yes, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb were astonished, were, astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things in order to enter into his glory? And at the beginning of Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures on the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated as though he would go farther. But they constrained him, and they said, Abide with us, for it is towards evening. The day is far spent. And he went in, and he stayed with them. They, he, he was at their door. And they said, Where are you going? He goes, I'm moving on. No, come in. He, they invited him in. That's what Jesus is saying. Are you here today? He's been knocking on your door. He wants to, he's, he's asking you to invite him in. He's not going to force his way through the door of your heart. And so he goes in. And it came to pass, verse 30. As he sat at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. 
And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked with us on the road, while He opened the Scriptures to us? So they rose that very hour. They returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and those that that were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened to them on the road, and that He was made known unto them in the breaking of bread. He's risen. Listen, these guys, before Jesus appeared, they lost hope. They were going the opposite direction. They were headed seven miles out of town. And Jesus shows up. Jesus will show up when you least expect it, when you feel your life's falling apart. He'll be standing right there going, hey, how you doing? And you won't recognize him. But you know what? The Word of God will cause your heart to start burning with desire. If you want to grow in Jesus and you feel like you're not growing, it's because you're not getting into the Word. This is a love letter written to you from the Creator of all things. A love letter so that you can know Him intimately. And when you read this, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you draw closer to God and you get through the tough times. These guys had lost hope, but Jesus showed up and He let them vent. Yeah, well, what, what are you, a stranger? You don't know what's going on? What, you haven't seen what I've been going through? Yeah, you ever get a friend like that? I'm going through Are you a Christian? Yeah, then just hang on. And Jesus sat with them. They, he stood at the door. They asked him in. He broke bread and their eyes were open. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. If you want your eyes to be open, get into the Word of God. Tomb is empty. Do you have your heart ready? Are you ready for all eternity? Have you set those things in order? I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. Let's bow our hearts. You're here today and you don't know Jesus. Listen, I plead with you. He loves you. Make today the day that you choose him. Don't leave home. Don't leave this church without him. Why Jesus? Because he's the one that paid the price for your sins. No one else did that. Why Jesus? Because he's the only one that rose from the dead. Why Jesus? Because he's the only one that can save. So if you're here today, maybe you've been playing church, and you want to commit, just pray this in your heart. Lord, thank you that the tomb is empty. Lord, I thank you that you provided me with a gift, and I want to take that gift, Lord, but I want to ask you for forgiveness of my sins and pray that you just wipe my sins away and that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and that I would be a child of God for the Master's use. So I ask you right now, save me in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that in your heart, you're a child of God. And for the rest of us, reread the seven letters to the seven churches and encourage yourself. Don't discourage yourself. Let Jesus have his way in your life. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys.